Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. But when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady, straight course according to the message, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. If you a Jew, Live like a non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem. What right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem buddies? How to get along with the brethren. That's just a code word for church leaders. Someone once quipped, to dwell, to dwell with the saints above, oh, that will be glory. But to live with the saints below, well, that's another story. We're going to go to that another story right now because it's a story you have never heard presented from a pulpit, I am certain. It's the story of the church leaders failing Paul in the moment of his most critical need. Let's pray. Oh, God. Truth is, we all fail, don't we? Yep. But from this failure, may we all learn to live together in Jesus right now. Amen. Once upon a time, the church that Jesus built and then died for and then rose for and returned to heaven for. The church was divided. You have the Jewish Christians here. You have the Gentile Christians here. First of all, it was the Hellenist or the Greek widows who were complaining to the Jewish leaders of the newly established Christian community and church that they were being ignored in the distribution of food. And so the brethren, that would be the apostles and the elders, gathered together And actually, under the inspiration of the Spirit, devised a most ingenious solution, a food delivery system, a love-on-the-move system called deacons. And it was a smashing success. And then an angel showed up to Peter and instructed him to go to a, get this, a Gentile pagan Roman centurion's home and teach that family the gospel. And wouldn't you know it? When Peter stands in Cornelius' ornate mansion, the Holy Spirit pours himself out, pours himself out on those unclean Gentiles the same way he had already poured himself out on the Jewish brethren in the upper room in Pentecost. 
My, 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 what is going on in the church? And then Paul and Barnabas come back from that missionary tour through Asia Minor that we relived last Sabbath. And they are telling stories about Gentiles coming in and Gentiles and Gentiles and Gentiles becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, the brethren in Jerusalem decide we have got to have a church council because there were some of the brethren who were declaring that unless these new Gentile believers become circumcised, and that's a little action on the outside of a male, unless these new Gentile members become circumcised, they cannot be full-fledged, card-carrying Christians. No way, Jose. But there was another group of the brethren that said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Of course they are. So it was a big deal, that gathering in the city of Jerusalem. First they heard the stories from Paul and Barnabas. Then Peter gets up and tells the story about Cornelius all over again. And after hearing all the stories, James, who's the numero uno of the brethren, he's the head. James gets up and says, quiet, quiet. You know what? We must not make it so hard for the Gentiles to come into the church of our Lord. So I recommend these three concessions. We will limit our requirements to one, abstaining from food offered to idols, and two, abstaining from sexual immorality, and three, eating only, eating only kosher, that's no blood in it, meat. And all the people prayed, and then they said, Amen. And the word went out. We've entered a new era in the life of the church. A few months later, after Paul and Barnabas have returned to Antioch, that church plant, that very hybrid church plant, which is half Jewish Christian and half Gentile Christian, a few months later, Peter, one of the brethren, comes up from Jerusalem to the city there in northern Syria. And oh, Peter, remember now, Peter at the Jerusalem Council has made it clear, defending Gentile Christians' right to join the church. And so Peter sits down with these new Gentile Christian members, and he eats with them, and he laughs with them, and he prays with them, and he tells stories of Jesus with them. He just loved fellowshipping with those new saints. But then, dun, 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 dun. Then, unexpectedly, a delegation from the brethren in Jerusalem shows up. And the moment Peter sees it, they're probably from the circumcision party. They're probably from the Pharisee party of the new Christian church. And the moment Peter sees them, he slips away. He slips away from the Gentile Christians and now only fellowships with the Jewish Christians. And Paul saw it all. And he's not going to sit still. Open your Bible with me to that dramatic story. Galatians chapter 2. Come on, find it in your Bible. It's on your lap right now. Pull that Bible out on your device. Galatians chapter 2. You got to see it to believe it. This is chapter 2, verse 11. Drop down to verse 11. I'll be in the New International Version as we begin reading here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And when Cephas came to Antioch. Now, Cephas is 
his, his, Peter's Aramaic nickname. It's, it's not a crazy name. It just meant stone like Peter does, rock. So we can read when Peter came to Antioch. We're going to read it right here. And in fact, it's coming on the screen as, oh, nope, not there. You got to go back, guys. Thank you. Go back. There you got it. Galatians 2. We've dropped down to verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul's writing here, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, I'm talking about my friend Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, oh boy, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. So how was it then that you forced the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Come on, Pete. That's exactly what you're modeling. You, are enjoy you were enjoying fellowship without racial or religious segregation. But as soon as this delegation shows up from the brethren, you turn tail. What's going on here? And by the way, by that act, it appears that you are now telling the Gentile Christians, you cannot have full fellowship with us unless you are circumcised like the rest of us. Shame on you, Peter. Oh, wow. It was a, come on, we all can imagine, it was a painful moment for Peter, a painful moment for Paul, for Barnabas, and for everybody in that room when Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to call a spade a spade. And stands up for what is right. But let's be honest. The brethren are as mortal as you and I are. And at the end of a long day, when they take off their sandals, they have feet of clay just like you and me. Meaning, they, are, they carry the same weaknesses and foibles we all carry. And that's why, by the way, we love the brethren. I love the brethren because they're just like me. They're just like you. How to live with the brethren. Let me share with you now five vital ways from Paul himself and his life on how you and I might live with the church leaders, how we might respond to our church leaders, how we might get along and sometimes not get along so well with our church leaders. Five how-tos. Let's share them right now. How to number one, you must know who you are. Begins with you. Paul knows who he is. In fact, let's, let's read this line from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes to his church plan in Corinth for, hey, listen, guys, I remind you, I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Yes, I did. But by the grace of God who has forgiven me, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I am what I am. Let me just let that line hang in front of you and me, because I need to get this as well. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
There is no more secure position in life than to be yourself. Please. It is a man. It is a woman. It is a teen who is always trying so hard to be like someone else that is the most insecure human in our bunch right now. Yeah, of course. Sometimes our parents, and we love our parents, and we seek to please our parents, as we should, but sometimes our parents want us to go one way, and, but there's something deep inside of us, and we even think it might be the, the, the Spirit of God inside of us says, no, 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 you need to go this way. Well, in the end, only you and God can decide what you were wired to be. What Paul is reminding us is that by the grace of God, I am what I am. I was wired this way. I cannot be Cephas. I cannot be James. I cannot be Barnabas. I cannot be nobody but me. I am what I am because I was made. I was wired. I have to respond to life this way. And by the way, I want to tell you something. If you don't show up, listen to me carefully. If you don't show up, and I'm talking about the you that was wired a certain way, and you're fighting your wiring right now. You're fighting it. You're letting others tell you, no, 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 you can't be what you're wired to be. If you don't show up, nobody will have what you have. Because like snowflakes, the creator of us all makes every single one of us unique. And if you don't show up, we'll never have a Milan ever, ever, ever. I read a story once about a, a, a rabbi, a rabbi named Ben Ezra. And this was so prescient that I scribbled it down. Ben Ezra, Ben Ezra wrote, when I get to heaven, okay, Rabbi Ben Ezra, when I get to heaven, God is not going to ask me, why weren't you more like Moses? No, God is going to ask me, why weren't you more like Ben Ezra? Have you been spending your life personally or professionally trying to be like somebody else? Quit the charade. You were wired to be who you are right now by the grace of God. I am what I am. And I thank God for it. Now, the brethren, I love the brethren. Some of my best friends are brethren. The brethren once in a while over the course of my short life have been in touch with me. They said, hey, Dwight, we want you here. Hey, Dwight, we want you over there. Hey, Dwight, come and be with us. And I'm always honored. And I always say, thank you, no. You know why? Because I'm not that. I'm a, I'm a little pastor evangelist. That's all I know how to do. And so that's all I'm going to do. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and I thank God. You can say the same. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and I thank God. There's nobody like you in the world. If you don't show up, we will miss you forever. Because God will never repeat it. He'll never repeat it. Like the bells. This was beautiful, by the way, wasn't this? This was beautiful. You take, if just one of those bells, if you take just one of these bells, okay, If we have everybody that plays this note, if everybody plays this note, this is the most boring music on earth. You got to have another one. You got to have another one. And you got to have another one. If one of those does not show up, we don't have complete music. Am I telling the truth or what? Of course. By the grace of God, I'm this note. And I'm part, I'm part of a choir. 
of friends of Jesus, as we just sang, I am a friend of God. I'm a part of a choir, a pale choir that covers this planet. And every note is crucial for the music to be complete. Okay, five ways, five how-tos, five how-tos to live with the brethren. Number one, you must know who you are. Number two, respect your leaders. Scribble that down in your mind. So Paul does here in Galatia. In fact, this story that we just read in the opening, all around it are these verses. I'll put them on the screen for you. Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? I don't want to prove, I don't want to, I don't need your approval. I need only God's. That's what Paul is saying. It's a good way to live. Or am I trying to please people? We got a lot of people pleasers in this culture. You don't have to be. Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Keep reading. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God doesn't show favoritism. If you're this part of the brethren or this part or not even part of the brethren at all, God doesn't care. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Keep reading. James, Cephas, and John. Now, this is not James, the brother of John. He's been beheaded. He's dead. He was the first of the disciples to be martyred. This is James, the stepbrother of Jesus. James, Peter, and John. Well, we know John boy, of course. These esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the circumcised. Well, anybody have a problem with that? Not at all. I am what I am, but I respect my leaders. In fact, There'll be an episode where Paul will be arrested in Jerusalem. He will end up before the Sanhedrin, the very judicial body he was once a member of. They hate Paul because he's a turncoat. He will show up before the Sanhedrin. And when he goes on trial, the retired high priest Ananias commands one of the guards, slap that boy in the face. Paul hears this man ask the stranger, maybe a soldier nearby, slap Paul in the face. And Paul turns, Paul turns and he cries out, you whitewashed wall, God will strike you. And somebody said, don't you know that's the high priest? Paul immediately apologizes. My Lord, I've made a mistake. Watch this. I'm not making this up. This is in the trial, Acts 23, 5. Paul replied, hey, brothers, I did not realize that he was a high priest, for it is written in Exodus 22, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Let me ISO that line so that it hangs in front of your comprehending mind for a moment. Do not speak evil about the leader of your people. I'm going to tell you the truth. I have sought to live by that lie, by that line in my ministry. Do not speak evil about the leader of your people. Only the line I learned, it's identical to it, but it happened in the Old Testament. And David is, is hiding in a cave with his guerrilla warriors. And Saul, King Saul, that Paul, whose name was Saul, was named after, the first king of Israel. Saul comes into this cave to relieve himself. And David is there. And his guerrilla warriors are there. This is the chance. Saul comes in and David doesn't flinch. He motions his men, don't move. And finally Saul leaves. 
And they said, Master, what are you thinking? This guy has, is out to destroy you, and you could have taken him out and ended this bitter war. And David's reply, and this is what I memorized through my young ministry, David's reply, how can I put forth my hand and touch the anointed? I will not touch the anointed. And I made that the motto of my life for the brethren. Any leader, any leader. I will not put forth my hand and touch the anointed. Jesus says, if you have something against somebody, you go to him. You go to her. And you tell her privately your concern. I will not publicly or privately take a leader down verbally or any other way. I know that's uncomfortable, and I sat in a group once that was tearing apart a leader who was not present. My philosophy is if the leader is not here, if she is not here, if he is not here, we're not talking about him. You can ask my staff. Get him in a corner. Say, tell me the truth. That's the truth. If you're not in the room, we don't talk about you. If you're a leader raised up by God, I will not stretch forth my hand and touch the Lord's anointed. You know what happens, don't you? It is a coward, too intimidated to speak up to leaders that tears down that leader when the leader is not present. That's a coward that's doing that. Don't be a coward. Matthew 18 says, you got something? Go. Take care of it. Wow. Respect your leaders. And by the way, if you're going to respect your leaders, I do hope you'll pray for them. I do. I, I'm at the bottom of the food chain, so I start up way at the top, and I know the leader and his wife, and I go down, I go down every level, and I pray for the leader and his wife, the leader and his wife, the leader and his wife, all the way down to me. And then I pray for the leader on this campus as well. That's no big deal. But I have found that if you're praying for somebody, you are less likely to tear them apart and criticize them privately. Pray for your leaders. That's what it means to respect your leader. All right. There are three of these. Here comes number three. You must know who you are. Number one, respect your leaders. Number two, number three, stand up for what you believe is right, no matter who the leader is. That's what Paul does with Peter, believing rightfully that Peter's example will destroy the power of the gospel they have been preaching. And when Barnabas is led astray, it just blows Paul's mind and breaks his heart. N.T. Wright, in that marvelous biography of Paul, captures the moment when Paul says in Galatians, even Barnabas, watch this, here's Wright dealing with it. The lasting shock of this moment is concentrated in Paul's use of the word even. There is pain in that word, like someone trying to take a step on a foot with a broken bone in it. Even Barnabas. Barnabas had been with Paul through the joys and trials of the mission in Galatia. They had shared everything. They had prayed and worked and celebrated and suffered side by side. They had themselves welcomed many non-Jews into the family. And now this, Barnabas goes slinking away following Peter. Heartbroken. Even Barnabas. Paul has to speak up because if you must, because you must stand up for what you believe. If you don't speak up, if you don't stand up, who will? Everybody's waiting for you. You might as well do it. Speak up. 
Stand up for what you believe. In this day and age in which the culture wars of America have pitted the wealthy against the poor, the resident against the immigrant, the insider against the outsider, the white against the black, the male against the female, somebody has to become a voice for the voiceless, for the disenfranchised, for the marginalized, for the alienated, and that somebody is you. Speak up. Be that voice for God and stand up for what you believe is right. Number four, disagree agreeably. Paul wrote these words. What is it? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Good counsel, by the way. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, listen. Never say in the morning or in the afternoon what you will regret when you crawl into bed at night. Just don't say it. You're no hero. Just don't say it. And your conscience will tell you whether to say it or not. Trust the Holy Spirit. We will not always agree. I get it. But we must always be agreeable. Paul and Barnabas fall apart over the decision, shall we let John Mark come back onto our team or not? Paul says, no way. After that, that boy who couldn't stand the heat, who can't stand hardship, no, we're not letting him back on the team. Barnabas says, come on, Paul, give me a break. He's just a boy. He's, he's maturing. He'll be... No, yes, no, yes. It gets so intense that this word is... This word is actually in the Bible. Acts chapter 15, 39, they had such a sharp, such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and as far as we know, they never worked together again. It's okay. Jesus says it's okay to disagree, but disagree in an agreeable way. Treat each other like you'd want to be treated. Finally, number five. You must know who you are. You want to picture that screen, you'll have these five. You must know who you are, number one. Number two, respect your leaders. Number three, stand up for what you believe is right. Number four, disagree agreeably. And finally, number five, follow the leader. And notice the L is capitalized because we come to this heartbreaking story. Most people ignore it. But not a little book called Sketches on the Life of Paul. The veil is pulled aside and we see dynamics that we can easily recognize ourselves. It's one of the saddest stories in Paul's life, what happened to him when he went to all these Gentile church plants that he has personally planted, along with his sidekicks. And he says, guys, they're having this devastating famine in Jerusalem. The brethren are there. Let's take up an offering for them. Now, Paul's intention is, by the Gentile Christians doing this act of grace, this act of love, it will win the hearts. It It will move the brethren. And they'll say, you know what? These are, they, they, they are part of the family like us. That's what Paul is hoping and praying. But guess what happens when he walks into Jerusalem? 
We'll let sketches take over from this point on. Let me put it on the screen for you. Fills in the blanks of a very sad, sad story. Sketches from the life of Paul. The Spirit of God impressed the minds of the brethren. There it is. And affected their hearts as they listened to Paul's report as he's giving the offering. But beneath this apparent harmony, prejudice and dissatisfaction were still smoldering. The fire hasn't gone out. Some in the church were still striving to mold Christianity after their old customs and ceremonies that were to pass away at the death of Christ, end quote. Isn't that amazing? The church is still the same. 2,000 years, we have not changed. What are you talking about? Well, it says here, some are still trying to preserve the old customs and ceremonies. The truth is we still have a hard time in letting those customs and ceremonies go. I think of the church today relying upon ancient customs and traditions to defend practice that remands a segment of its members from sharing in the ministry of the gospel. No, 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 no. You, you can't serve that way. That's only for us. You cannot serve that way. That's for us. The elders of the church had been at fault in allowing themselves to be influenced by the enemies of the apostles, the Sanhedrin and its spies. They've colored the whole brethren in Jerusalem. Now was the golden opportunity at the end of Paul's report for these leading men to frankly confess that they had been wrong, that God had wrought through Paul and that they were wrong in permitting the reports of his enemies to create jealousy and prejudice against him. Oftentimes, the debates of the church are about jealousy and pride. Not every time. Of course not. That's what took down Paul. Jealousy. Prejudice. We can't change now. Wow. And instead, what happens? James, the stepbrother of Jesus, the leader of the brethren, sets Paul up to have to compromise his strong conviction that Mosaic law was no longer binding on the church. Paul, thank you so much for everything you've done. Uh, listen, we have a little something we need you to do. Just go through some of those old purification rites, you know, the Mosaic law. It'll take you about seven days. It won't cost you much. Just do it. And let everybody out there know you're not down on Moses. Okay? And Paul, so longing to accommodate the brethren, says, okay. Sketches again. But the advice given by James to Paul was not consistent with what that decision in Acts 15 had decided. The Spirit of God did not prompt this advice. It was the fruit of cowardice. Cowardice. The brethren were afraid of the political consequences. And so in a political maneuver, for the sake of political expediency, the brethren convinced this intrepid warrior for Christ to compromise his strong conviction, all because the brethren were afraid of what the people might say. 
and the authorities might do. And Paul, God bless him, was willing to go along, hoping that they might then change their ways and amend their strategy so that the full church could participate in the life of the church. Paul felt that if he could, by any lawful concession on his part, win the brethren to the truth, he would remove a very great obstacle to the success of the gospel in other places. So he compromises his own conviction. But he was, listen to this, no punches pulled for either side, but he was not authorized of God to concede so much as they had asked. His advisors were not infallible. Now, keep reading. Though some of these men wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Hit the pause button right there. Okay, who in the brethren in that uh, room, who would write under the inspiration of God? Well, that would be Peter, for sure, right? Peter. That would be James. We have a book of the New Testament named after James, the stepbrother. Jude, the other stepbrother of Jesus, is also a book in the Bible. John Boy, who was one of the tri Try leaders, leadership team. John Boy, who wrote the Gospel and Revelation. Oh, my, what's going on here? Keep reading. Though some of these men wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, yet when not under its direct influence, they sometimes erred. And now we know that you can be an inspired writer, and when you're not under the inspiration of the Spirit, Give poor counsel. Every word is not inspired. It wasn't of Peter. It wasn't of James. It wasn't of John. It isn't anybody else you might think of that you consider an inspired writer. I didn't say that. Ah. They were wrong. Cowardice held them back, and the church was set back by these beloved leaders called the Brethren. In fact, after Paul was arrested at the end of the seven days, they should have known this is the most recognizable face in the Roman Empire right now. This guy has gone to every major city. He's shown up. Everybody knows. There's no social media, but they know this face, and he was spotted. He almost lost his life. There was a plot to assassinate him on the way to court. After Paul was arrested, and he, came, and he comes this close to being executed, there's a little angle here that only Sketches points out that I thought you might need to know. When Peter had been made a prisoner and condemned to death, the brethren had offered earnest prayer to God day and night for his deliverance. That's Acts chapter 12. But no such interest was manifested in behalf of Paul, who was looked upon as an apostate from Moses, a teacher of dangerous doctrines. It was not to the elders whose counsel had brought him into this dangerous position that Paul owed his escape from a violent death. They did not pray for him. Jealousy and pride. We haven't changed at all. They didn't even pray for him. This champion 
without whom you and I would not be here today. We would not be here. There's not a Jew in this, in this building. It took somebody to break out of the old customs and traditions and say, no, let them in. Let them in. And yet, guess what? Paul forgave the brethren. Turns out it's the, it's the prayer of the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The prayer of Calvary, blood-stained, pressed from the agonizing heart of the Savior himself before he died. That prayer of Calvary for forgiveness was for you. That prayer of Calvary for forgiveness is for me. And that prayer from Calvary is for the brethren today. He forgave us all. Jesus forgave us all. Wow. That's why Paul could forgive. When you can't always follow a leader, you can and must follow the capital L leader. Don't follow me. I'm a part of the brethren now. Don't follow me. You follow the capital L leader. That's who you follow. Paul makes the point himself in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow the leader. And what is the mindset of a leader? The capital L leader, last line before I sit down, Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You want to be a servant leader? Then this is what you do. Jesus, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Follow the leader. The capital L leader. Follow the leader. And by the way, when you do, it will always lead you to the cross, as we will find out next week. Let us pray. Oh, God, give us the heart of Jesus that we might love all, we might forgive all, we might embrace all, and we might unite with all in the high calling of this hour at the end of human history. We cannot go to heaven divided, and we won't. So grant us the capital L leader's grace to follow him. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Connect Paul 6, please, to this numbered for your electronic connect card, 269-281-2345. When you do, you'll find these next steps. Number one, I want to follow the leader, capital L, leader, even if it means to the cross. Of course, I do too. I'll put a check mark there. Number two, I will pray for the brethren by name and position. I invite you to do that, please. Love them through your prayers. And finally, number three, I want to follow Jesus in baptism. Some of you are thinking, baptism is the next step for me. Good for you. 269-281-2345. That's all you have to do is text Paul 6 to that number. And then you check, I want to be baptized. I want to be a leader like Jesus. 
I am who I am by his grace, and by his grace, I will live for him till he comes. Amen. Come on, singers. Lead us in that song.